Hello and a warm welcome to Words the Bee Gees podcast and also a warm welcome to the 1980s. I'm Cristiano. And I'm Stuart. And in today's episode we'll be discussing Andy Gibbs' third and final album, After Dark, released January 1980. Recording for After Dark took place across May, October and November of 1979. Barry became involved with the recording sessions for After Dark once the Spirits Having Flown tour finished in October of 79, and I presume that the sessions for After Dark started in the May and were probably quite unproductive, so things came to a bit of a halt and they had to wait until Barry was free after the tour had finished to resuscitate the album. Now, I thought for this podcast, I'd have a look and go back to 1979 and see all the songs that the brothers wrote. Barry was copyrighted with 17 songs, solo group, and within that 17 songs... There was only one unreleased song. Robin was copyrighted with 12, everything released. Poor old Morris was down just to one song. That was part of the BRM banner. Andy is down for four. Two were released and two still remain in the vaults that nobody's ever heard of. And of the two that were released, they were co-writes with Barry. Of course they were. (laughs) (laughs) Who else? So that's really a very productive output when you look at the amount that was recorded, composed, yeah. compared to the amount that we still haven't heard or that just remains unreleased. So from, from reading that, I think you've got the one from Barry and then you've got the two from Andy, just the three unreleased songs. And so you can see how, from that batch of recordings, how they then managed to spread it across quite a few different albums yeah. over the next and year. slot in a couple of extra ones and everything. You've mentioned in the episodes on Flowing Rivers and Shadow Dancing that After Dark is your favourite of Andy's albums. Having listened to the album repeatedly for this episode and having undertaken the research and prep, as we do, do you still hold that opinion? Yeah, I would say so. It probably goes back to what we were saying about Flowing Rivers, where we thought it was probably the ideal Andy album. Looking at this, I think the songwriting is up there, but obviously a lot more involvement with Barry. In my head, you could say... It flows on quite nicely from the end of side two of um, Shadow Dancing. Yeah. Because those songs from Spirits were written in 78, coming off Saturday Night Fever. When you look at the songs from 79, they are written in a slightly different person. I think it's a slightly different style. They're more laid back, ballads that require big production. I would agree with you if you split After Dark with Side 1 and Side 2. Side 1, I think, continues in the mood of Spirits or even off the tail end of Saturday Night Fever. But Side 2, which is a bit more mellow, laid back and has that late night flavour to it, is Side 2 of Shadow Dancing. I think that Joseph Brennan on Gib Songs describes After Dark perfectly. He says, After Dark was a Barry Gibb project propping up Andy's career and fulfilling Andy's contractual obligation. It is not a Barry Gibb solo album, but it is his concept of an Andy Gibb album. Mm. And I think that that just so neatly summarises what this album is. So going on from what Joseph Brennan said, I am partial to that opinion that, yes, this is officially credited as an Andy Gibb album, but when I listen to it, I can't not hear the heavy involvement from Barry and those BRM compositions and also be aware of how weak, poor, 
Andy's contribution to this album was and how I want to say no fault of his own but it's the price of stardom that led us to this position where he was so restricted in his vocal abilities and just wasn't showing up to the studio and I think that when all of that is taken into consideration Barry did a fantastic job of resuscitating this album. If for you this is the definitive Andy album then I think that Barry did a superb job in making what I imagine were quite poor early takes into very, very well-produced finished products. Well, because you read various books, you look on the internet, you see different reviews, everyone is focused on the poor quality of Andy's vocals and the way Barry's made his vocals fit Andy's. I'm thinking back to when I first heard this album, being the first Andy album... I assumed that was his natural voice. So it was never an issue for me. You know, you listen to the songs like After Dark, it's nice and smooth. And I just thought that was a continuation of the Bee Gees and Andy's sound. That's why I liked it so much. And even for this podcast, I've listened to it at home, in the car. I've listened to it in bed, <laughs> After Dark. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to do, isn't it? <laughs> I would just love somebody to highlight where Barry is imitating Andy's voice. Because what I tend to hear is Andy doing all the choruses, apart from Olivia, and um, Barry coming in and strengthening and singing sort of stacked harmonies on the choruses. I genuinely think that if you were to remove all of Barry's vocal contributions from this album, and I'm sure now AI could do that, that you would still have complete takes of every song with just Andy's vocals plus of course Olivia Newton-John I still think you would have the complete songs but with regards to the strength and quality of the actual vocals that might be far more diminished compared to the final versions that we have or you can look at it another way and think well because the Bee Gees prior to this had spent a year experimenting working putting every vocal down a lot of attention was made to the vocals And I think that's probably what they've been used to. And then they've come to work with Andy. And the strength for what they want is not there. Though in Andy's head, he probably thinks it's fine. Because he's not been working with them in the studio. So for those of you who are listening, if you come across a part where you really think you can definitely hear Barry in the chorus, then I'd love to know that. And like we got those... Um, demo albums on iTunes back in 2006 this is an album I would love to hear the demos for a lot of the discourse surrounding After Dark is always about the vocals and the weakness of Andy's vocals and how much Barry contributed and had to save and resuscitate this album but I think that that's a shame that people just focus on the vocals because I think what's equally as important and successful is the production the arrangement and the instrumentation which I think, still to this day, almost 44 years after this album was released, still sounds very fresh, very clean, and just very smooth and well-produced. Totally agree. You listen to this, recorded in 79, and you could listen to it now, and I think personally it still sounds just as fresh. I listened to Guilty a couple of weeks ago. I thought I'd get back into that in preparation. And again, I had the same feeling with that album as well, that it didn't feel like 43 years ago because then you listen to something from 1985 and it's just in a 
different league. It's so 85 with the, with the sax. Gated drums. Gated drums. Phil Collins has got a lot to answer for on some of them, hasn't he? But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, this, because it, it's, it's not being derogative or anything, but do you think because it's middle of the road, they don't want to go out there and do something totally different that's going to make it sound modern and then dated? And I think this goes back to something that we started referring to about how tight the Bee Gees production studio yeah. family were when you have the likes of Carl Richardson, Albie Galutin, Blue Weaver, etc. that they found this sound. And in terms of the production, because you have a lot of similar personnel, and I'll go through the personnel on, on this album shortly, there's not a lot of difference to the albums that came before Spirits, Shadow Dancing, and the albums that were to come after sunrise guilty Mm. there's not much of a difference there so musically things sound quite consistent and there's not too much experimentation but what we do then see is experimentation with the vocals like when you had the the fake explosion on tragedy (laughs) yeah the vocals on this album and then the next album with jimmy ruffin and then following on with barbara streisand so i think the emphasis is always on the vocals not on the instrumentation and that's why a lot of people focus on this album with its vocals because you have the whole story of Andy's voice being so weak and Barry having to come in and save the day. I couldn't put it better myself. When you think of the Bee Gees, initially they are they're a harmony group that can write songs. So they're they're the two main things. What else you add to that is is a bonus. Exactly. Going to what you said about vocals, that to to me is is their priority the song and the vocals everything else around it when we spoke to andrew sanderville about i think you asked him about the work of bill shepherd it's quite clever how they could get these people surround themselves with superb production and 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 because it's not often really that we have these elaborate musical moments in terms of the instrumentation things that come to mind are the guitar solo that's in Wouldn't I Be Someone or the orchestral songs that were on Odessa and then the one that we'll later get to at the end of Living Eyes. But they're kind of far and few between. The thing that we tend to always focus on and that everyone, as you said, focuses on and what the Bee Gees are known for as a harmony and vocal group is the vocal. Exactly. That leads into this business of everybody, as you quite rightly say, making the this album all about the vocals. And... There tends to be a lot of disregard for the songs themselves that are on this album, particularly Mm. side two. But I wonder, had nobody leaked or said anything about the vocals, how many people would have picked up on it? I still think quite a few because I listened to this album and it reminds me a lot of the song with Samantha Sang, Emotion, where for the chorus, Samantha is almost dropped out of the mix in favour of Barry. And I think we have a same coffee. (laughs) And I think I think we have a similar thing here. So leading on from what we've talked about, do you think there was too much pressure put on Andy? Because he would have only been twenty when he recorded this. So I'm just wondering whether there was too much pressure on him to release a follow up album. And I know we've said in the seventies how quickly artists brought out albums. But knowing the position Andy was in at the time things were starting to get on top of him where they just took a back seat and said look let's get him sorted then we'll we'll work on an album and bring one out I was quite surprised when I was reading the 
Arrow Through the Heart's Andy Gibb biography. And there was the chapter in there on After Dark. And they kept referring to how the music press and the music industry kept expecting Andy to release that fourth album. And it got to even just to 1981. And they said to him, oh, well, it's been a year since your last album. Where have you been? And I suppose that was just the music industry at the time where artists were releasing albums every one or two years at the most. You'd never have more than a two year gap without an album. It seemed like so much pressure that for, for a, what was he, just turned 22, to need to release his fourth album, it was quite a lot of pressure on him. Well, you can see that with the three albums. Each album had less Andy songs and it. They were getting sort of diminished returns from him. And so you've gone about this, they do the fourth album and obviously that's why they then decided to put out the greatest hits. But with those extra bonus tracks on there you can really hear the difference in Andy's he seems sort of confident he puts a lot of emotion into one of them songs and and one's a bit more rocky and he sings it well so it just proves to go back what I said earlier if they'd have let him just rest a bit we could have had After Dark been recorded then but you look at it another way in because of the work toll that the brothers were working, they were probably on such time restraints because obviously the, Barry wanted to work with Barbara. So she probably said, well, look, I can do the album, but I can only record it between certain months and certain months. Robin was working with Jimmy Ruffin. So that tied in nicely with probably when he was when Barry was with um, Barbara. So it was a case of, of having timeline to fit in Andy's album, where in hindsight, really, it probably would have been better to do Andy in 81 and push Living the Heist back to 82. So you've got that then, a nice three or four year gap from Spirits, Bee Gees regroup, and then we'll go into a lot of detail when we do Living Eyes. But there are quite a few things there where I think Robin sort of says they were sort of rushed into it and one thing and another. And in hindsight, what the record companies could have done, in a similar way to in the Bee Gees, they moved to England in 1967, find huge success with those international albums, Beachy's first horizontal idea. And then circa 1968-69, there's the release of Rare, Precious and Beautiful. Oh, okay. Three volumes. Of the Australian material. The record companies could have done a similar thing here with Andy if they'd have known that there was a delay after Shadow Dancing until the next album. Because yeah. as we found out in our episode on Flowing Rivers, there is pretty much a lost album there that could have been released okay it would have been going backwards not forwards but it would have covered a gap yeah and it would have given time for andy's voice to recover and from what i've read in the arrow through the heart biography and from a few other sources is that andy was meant to tour for after dark but that for one reason or another or for one excuse or another that tour never came to fruition and do you think that's why instead of a tour happening throughout 1980 instead later on in 1980 we have the release of the greatest hits yeah i think i think you've hit the nail on the head there i i think that was to be released in the same year as after dark and they they probably put a lot of money into that tour they needed to recoup some of that back and all they really had to do was go into the studio and record three new songs so returning back to after dark and listen to this it is surprising that the album holds up well regarding sequencing, everything all fitting together. When you think that you've got Rest Your Love from 76, you've got Leftovers from 78, 
and this was recorded obviously end of 79 so you're talking of nearly for three year span song-wise and you don't hear that when listening to it it just all sounds like fitting material for andy oh all, yeah all very suitable material for his range and his style I would assume if you listened to the album for the first time, the only song you really would remember, if you'd have brought Too Much Heaven and flipped it over to hear Rest Your Love. But at least on this album, you do get, whether you like it or don't like it, you do get a, this song turned into a duet. Yeah. With the personnel who were involved with After Dark, it's not that much different from Shadow Dancing. The notable additions and changes are Michael Brecker on saxophone, Randy Brecker on trumpet. Tom Rohde on percussion, Hugh McCracken on guitar. Now you'll recognise him from Paul McCartney's Ram. Yeah, and did he, is he also, put Hugh McCracken on John Lennon's Double Fantasy? Yes, I think he's on there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Bernard Loop on the drums, and then Charlie Chalmers, Sandy Rhodes and Donna Rhodes providing backing vocals, which we'll see how important those backing vocals are (laughs) throughout this album. And I just mentioned before that about Bernard Loop. Now that's a pseudonym. That's actually a kind of a joke. Just out of curiosity, I wanted to find out more about this person. So I searched their name on Google. It straight away took me to this Wikipedia entry. And it was Loop, L-O-U-P, was a play on the the same drum loop that was taken... And staying live in Night Fever. Exactly, yeah. And they credited this as a Bernard Loop. We've spoken about the context of recording and also how songs on this album go way back to 76 but if we look at when this album was released january of 1980 so we're now into the 1980s and i've got the top 10 uk singles and we'll okay. see if you can name the song if i name the artist at number 10 we have booker t and the mgs i think that was an old song so it, was it apples or something onions oh that's it green onions green onions at number nine beat uh, I can only think of Mirror in the Bathroom. This is a double A-side. Um, losing, something losing me or something. Tears of a Clown. Oh. Ranking full stop. Oh, okay. Number eight, Specials. Ghost Town? Nope. Too Much, Too Young. Oh, yeah. Number seven, ABBA. So this is beginning of 1980. So something like Winner Takes It All? No. Chikatita? No. No. I Have a Dream. Ah, oh. number six, Nolans. I'm in the mood for dancing. Correct. Number five, KC and the Sunshine Band. Give it up. Nope. That's why I like it. Nope. Please don't go. Number four, Madness. No, I, I, it's not Baggy Trails, is it? No. no. My Girl. Number three, Pink Floyd. That's the wall. Correct. Number two, Billy Preston and Sirita. With you on Born Again. Correct. And number one, Pretenders. Brass in pocket. Well done. Very good. I'm special. So special. I got help some of your attention. Give it to me. We've mentioned it already, but After Dark has developed such a reputation for Andy's lack of involvement and the subsequent replacement with Barry Gibb vocals and how involved Barry became in the album. Looking back on After Dark's production... In the Ultimate Biography, Albie Galuton says, By the time we had gotten to that last Andy album, he was in such bad shape that we were just doing something to put on it. It wasn't an Andy album anymore. It was a big contractual obligation. 
By that point, Andy was hard to work with. So you would have songs that would not quite make the grade, start to work on it and put it away and say, maybe it'll resurface later. It was not easy to get stimulated about writing good Andy songs because he was a basket case. He wouldn't show up. He wasn't there. I think he's speaking more out of frustration because they've obviously booked studio time. They've got the musicians there. They've probably outsourced different musicians for what they wanted. Bernard Loop in particular. <laughs> yeah, he's always hanging around. Yeah, so I, I assume Albie was annoyed that when you, your main person either turns up late or he can't perform or, you know, the vocals are poor, then yes, I can see where he's coming from. But saying all that, it doesn't deter me from the album at all. I think the main thing to take from this album is the quality of the songs. I've heard some people sort of describe some of these songs as lacklustre, but it, it, it's never been that for me. So I can only say from a personal point of view, I really enjoy the songs in this album. So I take it as a whole package and I enjoy it for what it is. When I first heard this trilogy of albums, I would have agreed with you and said After Dark was my favourite. It was certainly the most memorable and it was the one that I kept going back to. I hardly revisited Shadow Dancing and I went back to Flowing Rivers once, maybe if that, between first listening to it and doing this podcast. So for about three years, I hardly ever heard it. But I fell in love with Flowing Rivers doing the podcast and I love After Dark and it's, I want to say it's my favourite, but I think Flowing Rivers is so close to Andy's true self that it just feels like the definitive Andy Gibb album. But yeah, so I think After Dark, although it's not, Andy himself is not his best work. It might stand as his overall, his most commercial and best album. So for taking that all to one side, if you go back to 1980 and you look at who was listening and buying Andy records, he was still classed as a teen idol. He would have only been sort of 22. I assume the majority of his fans when Flowing Rivers come out were between 13 and 16. Those 13-year-olds would still only be 16 and hence 16, 19-year-olds. So I don't think it would have entered any of their minds. When they put After Dark on the turntable, they were hearing Andy's voice, good songs, a cover that fitted his image, and nobody would have been none the wiser. Because I remember you saying in the Flowing Rivers episode that you first discovered Andy through your friend's daughter who who owned After Dark and you discovered it in her collection. So after hearing it, did you then go out and buy the album? No. I borrowed it and then, <laughs> being a bit of a skin flint, I taped it. <laughs> Put me down as a as a 18-year-old bootlegger. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I used to buy then a, a C60. So you could put 30 minutes on each side. Then you used to get a C60 then, or you get a C90 with 45 minutes each side, which is quite ideal, really, because you could put one album on one side and then another album on the other side. You're OK until the tape got chewed up. Then you then you lost two two albums worth. And then I think I bought it on CD, probably, again, like majority of them in the, um, in the early 2000s. So with that, Chris, I think, shall we um, turn the lights down low and uh, dip into a bit of After Dark? Trouble find 
1981, Andy said, After Dark is a single that was never released, and I wish it was. To this day, it should have been a single. I believe it was the strongest cut on that album. And I wholeheartedly agree with Andy. This should have been the first single or the second single. It picks up right where Shadow Dancing left off. So I think that this was one of those ones that Barry wrote knowing that it was going straight to Andy. I think it's that opening guitar in particular has that LA 70s AOR sound. I think that this just leads us so nicely into this album. You you put this record on and, and you think of the title After Dark and just from that opening guitar intro you can picture yourself being on a highway early night time going through LA, Miami. For me I think it's a beautiful start to the album. It's cool, it's relaxed, sort of song I'm no excuse for this. You can open a bottle of wine, chill out and listen to it. And it, it sort of just floats over you, this this song. But in a good way. Oh, definitely in a good way. Yeah. I mean, this to me is like Andy's version. I'm going to put it in again of Charade. Loungy. Yeah, it could be. You probably could describe it as that. But if you're a, a record executive and you're looking at the way the first two singles performed okay for anybody else they did really well but in comparison to the first two tracks from flowing rivers the first two tracks from shadow dancing it goes back to what i said earlier on you're getting diminished returns on it so i'm just wondering whether they felt that this single wouldn't achieve because as we'll see later on he does go out and sing this song and he must have thought in his head probably it would have been the third single. I would go as far as to say I think this should have been the first single. So before hearing all this, who sang what, I naturally just assumed it was Andy singing in his breathy natural it's a lovely vocal when you get towards the sweet and low part which is where i think it's double tracked and then you you get to barry coming in and then there's the part is i want to be there which really lifts the song to me it wasn't until doing the research for this song that i realized how wrong i'd been getting the lyrics I think that this album as a whole has some incredible lyrics to it, and this song is no exception, but I've been getting them completely wrong. So I'll read to you the lyrics of the opening verse. There is not anything I would not do to ease your troubled mind. Where you are, there is a different feeling. I wake up, I'm on the ceiling, opens up your eyes. What a shape, someone you can't forget for any time. Oh, let me show you mine immediately after dark. See, I was hearing that as what a shame someone you cared for any time, as opposed to what a shape someone you can't forget any time. Well, this goes back to when we was talking about lyrics on Saturday Night Fever, about mishearing them and hearing them. When you asked me to attempt to to, um, speak the lyrics badly, it's because that's what I probably think they're saying. And... When your brain registers that, it doesn't want to change it. And then because you sing it how you think it should be sung, of course it's going to flow. It, it's Why wouldn't it flow? Because you, you think that's the correct lyric. Your brain doesn't think, oh, I should be saying mother instead of brother or other. 
The first time you hear it, though, it's Brother. So I'm going to stick with Brother. Yeah. But overall, really good lyrics across this song. I've cross-referenced a few pages on the internet. We don't have the LP, so I don't know whether that came with lyrics included. Well, I know when I borrowed it, there definitely wasn't any lyrics. Well, good job, really, because I don't think you could slip them into a cassette tape. (laughs) (laughs) No, not with my eyesight, anyway. But yeah, as you've said about the changes in Andy's vocals from going quite deep in the register and then quite whispery and soft. It's the lyrics like, Love in the jungle can be hard to realise. After dark, where the lights start fading, sweet and low, I want to be there, I want to be there, we leave immediately. Those different vocals, it's, it's so nice to hear that because it would have just been wasted to have had this in that same spirits having flown falsetto it's nice to have the variation in vocal styles and actually i think this is one of those ones where the raspiness and the strain in andy's voice suits the composition so well i think already with this first track and i think we talked about it before we started talking about um, the album tracks the instrumentation it fits the song the lyrics so well doesn't it i like the way after each chorus, the way it builds and builds. And then obviously you get the the added instruments like the sax, the trumpet, which just give it that really sort of smoky evening feel in a club. It's all very sort of atmospheric. I could picture this being in Saturday Night Fever, entering the club and you've got this on in the background, the lights are dimming and the mood is changing. And the song, the way that it keeps building and building after each chorus, it's got this sense of momentum. It's a perfect prelude and lead-in for the album. Yeah, it definitely should have been one of the first singles from this album. And recently I came across the instrumental version of this on YouTube. And it's great because you can hear like the swirling orchestra. And, and I just think it, it, it's beautiful. Works so well. Looking at the ultimate biography, Albie Gluten might have an answer to your question as to whether the background vocals were Barry, because he says, I remember the song After Dark. That was a great track. We used Michael and Randy Brecker and David Sanborn, and it was incredible, the horn parts on it. If you listen to that, all the background chorus parts were all sung by Barry. The stuff that sounds great is all actually Barry. Andy was pretty absent. Well, I've gone and looked into Gibb songs and Joseph always lists the song, the writer, the era it was written, and then he puts underneath lead vocals. So with this one, he's got lead vocals as Andy and Barry. And he goes on to say, Barry is very clearly singing together with Andy on After Dark and also Wherever You Are, two well-crafted but somewhat generic up-tempo dance songs. Which I don't 100% agree with, but I totally understand where it's coming from. The only live version I've seen is from 83-84 in Chile. Yeah, it's from 1984 in Chile. And you mentioned earlier that 
there was no proper tour to accompany the release of After Dark in 1980. But this show from Chile in 1984 is pretty much an After Dark tour, live it, tour yeah. accompaniment. It's so good. He performs a lot of songs from this album live, and they're all excellent, After Dark being no exception. This version, it's wonderfully energetic and spirited, and I think that his love for this song is on full display. He strides around the stage, and they raise the tempo of the song, and it comes across as though Andy's strutting around, showing off how good Barry's song is. Thank you! When I watched it, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Vocal-wise, it's fine, isn't it? And the perm in full force. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know you're in early, mid, to, mid to early 80s. So, um... But really, really good performance. I encourage anyone to give that whole concert a watch. Excellent renditions of, of his entire catalogue. And Barry must have liked his composition or this song because it's actually one of the tracks that made it onto the mythology as well. <laughs> Another part of the song I really like is the way it goes out and you get you get the ad libs. Now, listen to that. I think that's Barry. So I sometimes think to myself, I wonder when we, you mentioned earlier about the demos, whether whether sometimes that was on the original demo that they added to this or whether Barry would just heard the main song and went back in just to finish it off, to give it an ending. So with that then, what are you going to score this one? I've given After Dark an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I've gone with an 8 as well. So with this, we're going to track 2, which is called Desire. Desire was the lead single from After Dark, released January 1980 to coincide with the album's release, and it had Waiting For You from Shadow Dancing on the B-side. Desire is a Barry, Robin and Morris composition, and also it's the only recording released that features all four of the brothers. I think this was the basic track, the, re- the reason they're all four. It, didn't they use the track left over from Spirits with the three brothers on, and then Andy's voice just put on top? Yeah, I thought about that, but there's quite a lot of this that sounds like solo Andy. Yeah. So whether they dipped out the vocals from the Bee Gees demo and kept the backing track. Because I know the original working title was called Midnight. After Dark is Midnight. Yeah, that's true. You can hear the, the falsetto backing of the Bee Gees on this one, can't you? Oh, definitely. This single did pretty well. It got to number four in the US, 10 in Canada, and then Spain, seven, UK didn't chart, Belgium, eight, New Zealand, 38, Australia, 90, Germany, 36. Quite fair scorings for it. It's unusual that they put it with a B-side from Shadow Dancing. 
yeah, but overall, I think this is a an understandable choice for lead single. It wouldn't have been my choice. Oh, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you. Would you have picked this as a lead single? This type of composition doesn't help Andy's struggling vocals. They're very exposed in the verses, and the chorus is in a key that's slightly too demanding for Andy to reach. It just doesn't portray him in the best light as a vocalist. I would say at this point, if you go as his lead single, I would say this is probably his weakest single so far. I prefer it to Shadow Dancing. Yeah, I was going to say, I know you, you weren't a big fan of Shadow Dancing. I mean, if you're classing this as like the 78 backing track, is it Andy doing karaoke? I don't know. Yeah, I suppose a lot of this album comes across that way. I do like Andy's breathy vocals on the verses. And then we get really get a full-blown Bee Gees in the chorus. And then you get Andy's sort of harmonies sort of blending together nicely. I would have preferred this to have been on Spirits. Andy's voice isn't strong enough to carry this song, and certainly not as a lead single. And as well, the 1984 live version in Chile demonstrates this. Andy comes across as lost in the composition. You watch that version, and that's the one-week performance of the whole concert. He just doesn't have much vocal control. He's very reliant upon the backing singers to emulate the studio production. He feels a bit out of his comfort zone singing it. Cashbox, in their 26th of January 1980 review of Desire, were quite positive, and they said, The youngest Gibb brother is well served by his illustrious brothers here, who lend their songwriting talents, as well as trademark falsetto harmonies, to this single from Andy's forthcoming After Dark LP. A glowing instrumental provides a pleasant base for this potential top 40 smash. I wonder then whether he's still riding on the waves of his previous singles it's odd as well that the lead single comes out the same month as the album it's a million miles away from flowing rivers where the single comes out in may and the album comes out in september here it's like they've got such a quick turnover maybe that was from the record company that needed the album to come out that they finished recording in november first single comes out in january a few weeks before the album then follows it so have you heard the demo by barry I mean, I sort of class it as the na 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 song. <laughs> yeah, his vocal is very subdued, and I think that's just the quality of the lo-fi recording. But definitely in the chorus, that's still being developed. I don't think you get the word desire, do you? No. The verses are quite similar. He's almost there with the lyrics. But in those verses, whether he was thinking of Andy, but he sounds very, very, almost identical to Andy in the verse. And it's at some parts in the when he's going into the pre-chorus, that you can then tell that it's Barry. And it amazes me that if it's one of the songs that was supposed to be on Spirits, how the demo is in natural voice. We've heard them so-called demos or pre-mix ones, and most of them were all in falsetto, weren't they? G 
you think it's got its similarities to Love You Inside Out, that sort of thing? If I was going to swap it onto the album, and I would, I would swap it with Stop Think Again. Stop Think Again. Because I think that Desire doesn't require the falsetto, as we can hear in this demo and in Andy's version. But also Desire has that very ghostly atmospheric arrangement yeah which i think is a nice replacement for stop think again and also would flow quite nicely into until which has that same ethereal quality to it and it also goes back to why i think this is quite a weak single in the sense of i don't quite know if i like the intro and outro where it's the building harmonies sort of stacking i think it's got a, a gorgeous chorus incredible chorus great verses but it's not suitable for andy in 79 or 1980 and I would have preferred it on spirits. And I think that's how I'll always regard this song. As a spirit song, yeah. Now, I think we mentioned on the Shadow Dancing one where Andy was interviewed and he said that he'd like to get away from the BG sound. So with this one released as the first single, it to me sounds the most Bee Gees type of song to come out with from After Dark. We sound like a, you know, a stuck record repeating ourselves, but the only downside, I think, you would have thought Barry or one of them would have said, look, we need, we need Andy needs an identity. You know, we, we, we'll help him with the songwriting, we'll do da 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 this, but we don't want him to sound like karaoke Bee Gees (laughs) to me that's what this record is it's somebody singing a Bee Gees record to the backing I could see why they wanted to release it because they wanted to have that sound but it it could be counterproductive if you I mean we really haven't spoken too much about it because it's not something I want to sort of go into but you've got the backlash of disco and, and and what was going on at the time with the burning of records which was happening, I believe, in 79. I just thought they would have got away from that that sound. I think that's something we can definitely get into for Living Eyes. And I understand where it's coming in here. I agree with you that Desire is a clear BG song. But would it have been better if they did strip back the whole thing and started again? Yeah. With just Andy and, and Barry doing his strengthening parts and not have all that stacked Bee Gees in the back end? Uh, just at the piano or with an yeah. acoustic guitar? Yeah, yeah. The album's called After Dark. So we're setting the tone. This is all hindsight, isn't it? At the time, he's given a great track to sing. It's got all the Bee Gees on it. It's composed by all four. That's the promotional material we'll use. And it worked. It still got to number, was it four, we said? Yeah. Yeah. So th- there wasn't anything wrong. It's only when we look back and think, well, hang on a minute. Should you really have gone with this? You could argue that this was put out as the first single because it's got all four of the names credited to it. But if this had have been on Spirits Having Flown, would this have been a would this have been a single on there? Ah, I, you see, this I is, don't what, think this is so. what I'm getting to. You see, I don't think this so. Is, that's what I'm trying to say. It's it, it, it's not good enough for the Bee Gees, so therefore, oh, it must be good enough for Andy, implying that Andy's stuff is only as good as the leftover Bee Gees. Exactly. Yeah, it puts even more emphasis on um single first single being After Dark. But as I just said, it did well in the charts, so. Yeah, they thought they put the right single first, even though it was the first album out of the other two that didn't get a number one with its first single. So I have gone with a seven on this. Yeah, I've gone with a seven as well. 
So with that then, shall we go into wherever you are? Wherever You Are is a Barry solo composition, and this one is so uplifting and breezy and easygoing that I think it's perfect for Andy. Great intro, isn't it? It's quite a lengthy intro. Could you imagine this song, though, on a Barry solo? Is it What's Missing from Now Voyager? Or could it have gone into Living Eyes? It's one of those songs that you think could slot. I think it could have been on Now Voyager. It's a slightly different tempo. They're quite dancey, aren't they? Or ballady. And then... Okay, we get some fine line, which is a little bit different. So I think wherever you are would have been quite nice on there. With the electric guitar and the keyboard riff. I've always thought that this one sounds like the older brother and the precursor to The Woman in You. Yes. It's no, I hadn't thing. thought of that, but I know what you mean. Same. The bass yeah. line. Yeah. You could slot this one onto the Staying Alive soundtrack and it wouldn't be out of place. So this one we said about how After Dark is like a follower to Shadow Dancing and it also preludes into Living Eyes, etc. But I can definitely hear that sort of 83 sound on this. This is one, I think Morris was definitely quite heavily involved with this one. I don't know if that's been confirmed, but I can I can hear in the instrumentation, I can hear a lot of Morris in Wherever You Are. And I don't think he was, but he could have tackled it, couldn't he? Yeah. Def- definitely could have tackled it, but that's a, that's a good spot, actually. Vocal-wise, I've got this very similar to After Dark in that you get a decent Andy vocal on the verse. And then the chorus, I think on this one, seems to be taken over by Barry. I've listened to a stripped-down version of this, but I was surprised when I listened to, to the verses where Andy's vocals are stronger than I was expecting. Wherever you go You live inside of me I was born to make you see Listening to that stripped back version gives you a whole new appreciation for Andy Gibb as a singer. It did for me, especially during this period. He sounds on really, really fine form, whether this was catching him on a good day or if it was one of the earlier songs that they recorded. Or it was a song he found easy to, to sing. It's when you get into the chorus that then you can detect Barry coming in, and also you can quite clearly hear Charlie Chalmers and Sandy Rhodes and Donna Rhodes on the backing vocals also coming in. It's just a very uplifting, a very, very uplifting song. Puts a smile on your face. And going back to the, the strip one as well, I think when you get Barry coming in the chorus... He seems, rather than going higher, he seems to be taking the, the deeper vocals, which is a quite a nice change as well. It's quite a smooth song, this one. There's not too much highs and lows, so I think what Barry is doing is he's just giving a bit of bass and a bit of tomba yeah. to Andy's voice. Wherever you are, we'll let the loving flow down. Loving every minute. 
the seconds, the hours that you wait around. What if I like to play, but the world gets in the way? Instead of loving you, I'm losing you, and losing just don't wherever you are. I said before with After Dark about how much I liked the lyrics. And the same thing can be said for wherever you are, because we get a storytelling technique from Barry that we don't get on many other compositions from him. It opens up with the first line, there is a beautiful woman, an ordinary guy. And it's acting as the third person narrator who is introducing the two protagonists of this song, leading us in before we then go into the song itself. It's a nice technique that I couldn't name many, if any other, Gib songs that do that. Is it because he's still in the frame mind of this is for Andy and these lyrics would suit Andy rather than when he's normally writing, it's rather himself or for the Bee Gees, isn't he? Yeah. And he's putting his mind set into a early 20 year old person and, and boy loves girl. girl yeah, exactly. Boy. Yeah. Because I've, I've found on a lot of his songs that are composed for Andy, the lyrics are, are nice. As I think I mentioned on the previous podcast, they're more accessible. And this this album is exactly the same. And I was, like you, I was quite surprised when obviously these songs are mainly composed by Barry, how the lyrics still retain that simplistic quality to them. And later on in this song, we get maybe my favourite lyric of this entire album, when it's the part, loving every minute, the seconds, the hours that you wait around. What if I like to play, but the world gets in the way? Instead of loving you, I'm losing you. And losing just don't pay, wherever you are. <laughs> How do you feel three songs into After Dark, the opening three songs? Well, I think this is carrying on, really, in, in um, BG's history, tradition, yeah. that I think they're fantastic. I haven't got a problem whatsoever. So I've given Wherever You Are a seven. I did have a seven, and would you believe I've changed it to an eight. Yay. It was a seven, then I think I heard that stripped back one. And changed it to an eight. And I've got one or two others as well like that as well. So then we go on to the fourth song on the album, which is another Barry, Robin and Morris composition, and it's called Warm Ride. Last few months of prepping for the Saturday Night Fever episode, hmm. I've gotten so used to hearing the Bee Gees version that to then go back to Andy's version on this album, even though this was the first version of Warm Ride that I ever heard, it really caught me by surprise because the key and the arrangement is altered for Andy's voice. And actually, I prefer the Bee Gees version. I prefer their demo. Dear. Yeah. Now, I've got my notes here. This is my go-to version, Andy's version. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think probably because this is the first version I've heard, whereas the Bee Gees sing again in falsetto, because of that, it sounds slightly faster. Whereas Andy reverts to his 
natural voice, whether that was by choice or to make the best of, of him at, the, at that particular time, I don't know. When you come to the um, chorus, there's not a great deal of difference. It's the verses that is the big difference, the key is different. And I come across as hypocritical now because I kept saying in the Spirits episode, I want to change from the falsetto. And Warm Ride by the Bee Gees in its demo is entirely falsetto. But yeah, I just think that there's something about that Bee Gees version that I do prefer. I just don't think Andy's vocals are good enough in the verse. I just don't think you need a falsetto for this. Because it was recorded, wasn't it, between February and April 77? But this song is where the Bee Gees go back to using that drum loop that they use for Staying Alive. on which version I listened to more over a certain period. If I spent even more time with After Dark, I might grow to prefer Andy's version. Saying that, I think this was the composition that was made to be done by Andy. Now, we talk about the word warm ride. These sessions, as we said, began after the Bee Gees had finished the tour. Well, prior to that, in May, they did go into the, into the recording studio and Andy did record two songs. One was called Back to the Wind and the other one was called Warm. So these were definitely recorded, but I don't know whether they were not quality enough or they just felt that Barry's compositions were stronger. Until we hear them, we're never going never gonna to know. It's a bit of a shame, really, because if we recorded them, mate, why were they not put as B-sides or even added to the start of another album? Joseph goes on to say that this was one of the the late replacements for the album. So whether it's replacing those two songs that I mentioned, I don't know. My train of thought is that they've brought this one for Andy. If they thought it was good enough, why did Andy not have it for Shadow Dancing? Because Shadow Dancing came out after this was composed. But then Shadow Dancing came out before Spirits. So probably at the time they thought it was going to be used for Spirits like I said earlier on you know all these songs are cobbled from different years but they're very cohesive they, it all runs nice together so production wise Warm Ride continues with the smoothness from wherever you are but also carries on with that AOR late 70s LA sound of After Dark that we heard I really like the ad-libs that come on this song with the chorus where we've got Warm Ride, Baby That's The Way You Are and then what I assume is Barry on the falsetto that sits above that. Yeah. As it, there's a bit of call and response between Andy and Barry. I do like the way Andy sings Now I bring you emotion and I bring desire. That suits his vocal range as well. Hearing that, I just prefer it to, to falsetto. 
So after a warm ride then, I'm gonna go with, I was six or seven, but I think I might go with a seven. Yeah, I've given it a seven as well. This then takes us on to the fifth track on the album and the end of side one, and that's Rest Your Love on Me. Well, I think we've mentioned this on a couple of podcasts, Children of the World. This is, without doubt, a classic Barry composition. I put this to things like See a Smiling Faces, Sweetheart, and, you know, you know, I, I sort of love those sort of songs. It's a versatile, timeless composition been covered by numerous people hasn't it i completely agree with you i fell in love with the barry demo hearing it and i only heard that during our research for children of the world i didn't know it existed i had no idea that it was put as the b-side to too much heaven so hearing that version by barry absolutely fell in love with the song an incredible country composition maybe his best country style song beautiful lyrics but executed so poorly on this album I really don't like this version. No. Well, actually, you're contradicting yourself. When we mentioned this the last time, you said you preferred Andy's to Barry's. So have you been re-listening to Barry's probably a bit more now then? Because I said at the time I prefer Barry's. I was going off my memory at the time in that this was the first version of Rest Your Love and Me that I'd ever heard. And I think I was just assuming that I was so used to Andy's version that I did prefer it. Going back to this album... This one is so much, so poor in comparison to Barry's version. No, I won't forget it And the way it might have been Why did you have to leave so soon? Because Barry does go on to record it again for Greenfields, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And and the sad thing, I think that's Olivia Newton-John as well, isn't it? That was one of her last recordings. Yeah, what a way to go out. Yeah, beautiful song. In this version on After Dark, the arrangement has been softened, presumably to suit Andy's weakened voice. We said there about Olivia Newton-John, I don't quite need her on this album. And I don't know where to really sit with this because I don't know whether I feel it's out of place because we don't get any duets on any other Bee Gees albums. I think the only other time we hear a female voice really strongly on a Bee Gees album is P.P. Arnold on Cucumber Castle. And I just think when I get to this song, if I am going to hear it covered by Andy, I'd rather hear it just be Andy. If this entire album, After Dark, was duetted, similar to Barry and Barbara on Guilty, between Andy and Olivia Newton-John, then it would be fine. Or if you were to have this as a standalone single, as an A-side backed with I Can't Help It, the two Andy and Olivia Newton-John songs, fine. But on this album, in the same way as you found Barbara's version of Our Love, Don't Throw It All Away, out of place on Guilty Pleasures, I find this so out of place on After Dark. I much prefer I Can't Help It, the next song, as a duet to this. But this one, I'd rather have just Andy on the album or just take it off the album and have them duetting on on a separate project. 
Well, I think the reason that they got Olivia into here is simply from the the feedback they got from Olivia and Andy did this on the UNICEF concert. Where listening back to that, I get was predominantly Olivia singing because she starts the song off. Whereas on this, being on an Andy album, Andy starts the song off. So we're getting alternate takes on the same song. It's a beautiful but a cut back version. I think there's parts of the song they don't sing at the UNICEF one. With good intentions, that's what they wanted to reproduce. Lay your troubles on my shoulders Put your worries in my heart Rest your love on me for a When you go into the ultimate biography, there's a quote from Albie, and he say it goes on to say, It was so sad the duet with Olivia. When we had done the first demo vocals with Olivia and Barry, it was magical. But it was supposed to be an Andy record. Originally we were in the studio in Miami and it was Barry and Olivia singing together. I think Andy was not showing up. Barry had sung the demo, and Olivia had to sing to that. I think Andy showed up late. It was a problematic period for Andy. He sang some bits with her. He was not making the right notes. Andy's voice was horrible in those days. He was in really bad shape. It was wispy. There was no character to it. It's one thing to fix somebody's pitch or meter, but you can't fix the timber of their voice or the emotion of their singing. So it was a lost opportunity. From when I was reading The Ultimate Biography... I think in a later passage in that chapter, Olivia Newton-John, she was getting a bit frustrated at Andy's lack of effort in the studio and that he wasn't showing up and also how long it was taking them to record this song and to get it from recording to release. And that context has gone on to sour my opinion of this particular version of the song because I've said all of that about Olivia Newton-John and I'm not saying that I dislike her as a vocalist. She's incredible. She could have done a whole album with the Bee Gees you know, a duet in the 80s like Barbara or Dionne Warwick. She she deserved her own album of that type. She's an incredible singer and she's the perfect person to get to duet this song. But I think it's because she takes on so much of it and she has to, to masquerade. Well, I, I think her vocals are unbelievable on the chorus. Oh, they are incredible. They are stellar. She was doing so well at the time as well that that was probably another reason why let's bring her in. We had a message in from G Brewer after the release of our episode on Flowing Rivers. And he said, I can hear a lot of Olivia Newton-John from 1976-1977 in Andy's first album. Her album from 77, before Greece, Making a Good Thing Better, still retains her country-style origins, plus a little modern synths added for the Star Wars factor. <laughs> I loved Andy's and Olivia's voices together. She sounded great with Barry as well. I can hear Olivia singing on each of the non-hit tracks from Andy's Flowing Rivers. It's true. And thinking of what G is saying here, I'm wondering whether Andy and Barry were both in agreement, and especially with Barry having worked on Greece, and I assumed he then watched the film. He probably then saw Olivia Newton-John and realised that actually it would be good to get her in and get her involved in something. And if After Dark was a project that required quite a lot of vocal support to strengthen Andy's vocal, he probably thought this was a good time to get her in on on two tracks as well. Yeah, particularly this one, because if you say Olivia's roots are in country, 
the way this song is country, it was like a match made in heaven. And also, because this song was released as the B-side to Too Much Heaven, it was actually picked up on like the country charts. So Billboard lists it as one of its top picks in the country section. It goes on to say, An outstanding country ballad by this pop-orientated group demonstrates the Bee Gees' unexpected versatility in a new market. Distinctive Bee Gees sound lends itself perfectly to a song underscored with steel guitar and piano flourishes and captures a strong country feel and then in record world it also reviews it as well believe it or not the Bee Gees have a country single vocals still have the Bee Gees sound but the song and production are a far cry from Saturday Night Fever as a steel guitar wails to accent the simple easy moving sound and then I've read as well that Rest Your Love became the Bee Gees' first and only country hit. It peaked at 37 in Cashbox, 39 in Billboard and 44 in Record World. So not bad for a B-side, is it? So you can see probably why Barry wanted to use this song with Olivia Newton-John. Because yeah. before she was in Greece, she was a country singer. As we found out when she sang Country Lanes from Main Course... She did Banks of the River High over that was a country record from sort of 72. So I know we've spoken quite a bit about Barry and Andy. And then we know that Robin goes on to do Jimmy Ruffin in 79. But with regards to Morris, he actually went on to produce an album for the Osmonds. And the album was called Stepping Out. And one of the tracks they did decide to cover was this song, Rest Your Love On Me. I don't believe it was released as a single. It was just left as an album track. It's become a country classic and we'll play the Osmonds version and also we'll play that newer version from Greenfields. Yeah, excellent. In the passage that you read out from the Ultimate Biography, Gluten referred to a Barry and Olivia Newton-John demo. Does that exist? I've never heard it, no. So, so when, I suppose it's nice that when they did it for Greenfields, they were recreating that initial version. Yeah, it must be so good. Barry's version, I would happily give a, a 9 out of 10. 9 for Barry and 7 for Andy and Olivia. Uh, yeah, 9 for Barry, 6 for this one. But saying that, I much prefer I Can't Help It. Barry composition really really strangely this was chosen as the second single 
released March 1980 with Somebody I Ain't on the B-side. What an odd choice for a second single. Well, this goes back to what I just said. Olivia Newton-John was at the height of her popularity. I think in 1980, she'd released three big singles. One was Magic. I think that got to number one in America and Canada. Then she got number one in the UK and everywhere with Xanadu. Then she had a top 20 hit in the UK with duet with Cliff Richard. I don't know whether you heard it. It's called Suddenly. I think it's written by John Farah and he wrote a few of the songs for Greece. This so sounds like a, a Barry Gibbs song. Even the way it's sung, the chorus. You hope you would have a listen and, you, and see what you think. With I Can't Help It, Barry has discovered this new type of loungy, jazzy piano ballads, which he would continue with more and more, Diana Ross. Yeah. And I really like that style for him. I think he, he gets it spot on. It's a nice new genre for him to go into. I think I've got a bootleg of Barry from 99, where he, he sings a lot of Frank Sinatra songs. That sort of ingrains the sort of style that Barry enjoys singing. Yeah. As you say, we don't quite get enough of that sort of style, really, do we? One or two on Guilty 2, I think. Yeah. Tread that sort of path. Girl, you gotta go on believing. Boy, you gotta go on believing you. In comparison to Andy and Olivia Newson-John on Rest Your Love On Me, I can't help it. I'm happier with this because Andy is the more predominant voice and Newton John is doing an amazing job in like Barry strengthening Andy's vocals and just coming in at the parts weaving her way in and out of the song it works really nicely as a duet but yeah I still think of this as being an unusual second single but Cashbox disagree with me in the 29th of March 1980 issue they said Olivia Newton John manages to match the youngest Gib quiver on this fully orchestrated duet from the After Dark LP. Written by Barry Gibb, this wispy ballad seems destined for out-of-the-box top 40 airplay with its romantic, lyrical theme and glossy instrumental. So I'm fine with this as an album track, but when you have other songs like Warm Ride, After Dark, even Wherever You Are would have been much stronger second singles. Because I always think of like when I was younger say like the early 70s and you had the teen idols that people that they used to go for your Donny Osmonds your David Cassidy's your people like that they earned a living on these romantic ballads whereas Andy's seems to be sort of the opposite yeah well talking about the teen idol image what do you think of the album cover of After Dark has he got his finger in a light bulb or something <laughs> <laughs> It does look at it's that midway point between being slightly tacky and it looks like it's just been composited together very quickly. Yeah, it goes back to that teen idol representation of Andy. You're going to say exactly what I'm going to say. There, there is another version of this, isn't there? It is so good. 
This is the version which Andy performed in a 1985 episode of Punky Brewster, and it is incredible. It becomes one of my favourite Andy live or as live vocal performances. Andy makes this song his own. It's tear-jerkingly beautiful. It's exquisite, isn't it? Yeah. And given that it was three years before his untimely passing, it gives it so much poignancy. Yeah, like you, I've got this version in my all-time top five Andy songs, where I think he comes across as exposed, vulnerable. It's just stark and beautiful. Well, it's just him at the piano, which we haven't heard before. And I think already, just those two elements, Andy's voice, which was far stronger in 85 than it was in 79, with the piano, coupled with this amazing composition from Barry. It's the three elements that just work so beautifully together. And I think also because it's a, it's a children's show, so it's like Andy singing for the kids. And, and that just no gives pressure. it... No pressure. No, it's so sweet, so sentimental, so innocent. Beautiful, really beautiful. Well, I did read that both his parents were there to keep him on the straight and narrow and that Andy stayed on the stage all the time, talking and joking with the crew. So he seems he, he was really relaxed. Am I wasting my time hanging around? You would be gone. But I can't help it. Every moment that I think... Listen to this always puts me in mind of one of the my favourite versions and also very, very sad. And it's one of the last versions of a song by John Lennon called Grow Old With Me, where it's just him, his start vocals and a piano. And it's tear-jerkingly heartbreaking when you listen to it. Knowing what was to happen to him and then listen to this with Andy, it reminds me of the two together. Grow Old With Me is about hope for the future which is what's saddest about it yeah absolutely and yoko said it later on and i completely agree with her where she said that if john and her could have finished the song fully it would have gone on to become a wedding standard absolutely for me it's probably their best song what i class as their 1980 comeback yeah i don't think it's as good as woman oh i forgot about that one then you're going to say beautiful boy as well aren't you top three of that type of song bringing it back to I Can't Help It. It's just missing something on After Dark. I think that Olivia Newton-John is great on it, but the production doesn't quite do it justice and it needed more of the treatment that it then got in 1985 on the album. Or less. Exactly. Less is more, isn't it? Yes, less is more. Take take away some of the instruments and you've got something there. Because I think Barry sort of did that a bit with... um, I'm jumping ahead now to about 86 when he did his version of Letting Go. That, to me, is sort of quite a similar song. And I know that turned out to be one of Barry's favourite compositions because he then gave it to Barbara to do on Guilty Too. And 
And how do you feel about I Can't Help It as an opener to side two? When you think back to 1980, it's fine. Because you, you get up, you have to physically turn the record over, put the needle down, and off we go again with a nice ballad. But I think it jars a little bit more when it's transferred to CD. Because all of a sudden, in the middle of this album, you've got two duets side by side. It would have worked probably better. I, I, just a bit of jiggling around. But I assume people then become so used to the track listing and the way it was, it was arranged that changing it around, people would have probably not felt it went as well. We're now six songs into the album and we've not had Andy appear on any of the composition credits. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely staggering in comparison to two albums previously. Well, there was an interview with Andy and he sort of goes on to say that I was going to put three of my own songs in the album, but I personally pulled them because he, Barry, was writing so wonderfully. So this would have been those songs that you mentioned, Warm, do you reckon? Yeah. And Back to the Wind, wasn't it? Yeah. Because I do think that the two songs he did compose with Barry do have the feel a bit of Flowing Rivers. They're a slightly different arrangement. And they hearken back to the second half or the last few songs that were in Shadow Dancing. They're of that ilk. So anyway, scores on this one. I've gone with an eight and a nine for the solo version. I've given it an eight overall. So we then get on to the second song from side two called One Love and this is a Barry and Andy composition. the last four songs on After Dark, there is a sense of finality and closure to Andy's recording career. Now, he would not have known this at the time that this was going to be his last album. And this is only with retrospect and hindsight, knowing what happened to Andy eight years later. With the lyrics on this song and the next few on this album, they just carry that sense of Andy waving goodbye to his recording career. This time, I'm coming home. I gotta say I'm sorry. She was my one mistake, the last one I'll ever make. Andy couldn't have known that this would be his last album. It's that retrospect and knowing that his music career would never recover really at all after this album that makes a lot of these songs very bittersweet and very sad listening back to. Mm. I mean, I love the intro into this, which leads a kind of continuation of songs like words and music, melody with a plaintive verse which is backed up on the last line by Barry on the we go through those changes and into the chorus of One Love where I think we get the vocal harmonies with Barry's who's singing slightly behind Andy's and then you also get this builds up to this final key change so I think it's a, it's a great arrangement I think this is a gorgeous ballad it's probably a little bit lost after we get the two duets yes I agree and like Shadow Dancing the last few songs on this album are very underrated and they require a lot of repeated listening 
I think the first side of After Dark is very memorable, and I suppose that comes with them being BRM or Barry Solo. You only listen to them a few times and they stick with you. They're very iconic Gibb songs. Whereas this second half of the album goes off in a few different directions and we get some different composition credits. I might be in the minority here, but I actually prefer side two to side one. Do you? Yeah, I do. I th- I think you need to hear it a few more times. And you could say the same about Spirits, where falsetto, I think we said, everything could sound the same, but it isn't the same. And I think you'll find this with side two on here. I love this side. I do as well. I've been really excited to talk about this because as far as ballads go this to me is the most Bee Gees ballad we go through Unfortunately, like Desire, this is another song which demonstrates the weakness in Andy's vocals. There's a, a rasp to his voice which I don't think was intentional. Yeah, but I, I hear emotion in his voice as well on this one. And I think we go on about emotion, but I don't think nobody could beat Robin for that. But I think that he's got that in him. He's got the vibrato and the tombra, which Andy lacks. Had he still been with us... He would have grown more. And I think we might have seen his inner Robin come out a bit more than than Barry. I don't know. I'm just thinking that he he does carry a song well when when he wants to. We heard it from the very first version of Words and Music. Yeah. Where he carried that same emotion. And we heard it on Melody from Shadow Dancing. And we just heard it on I Can't Help It. Yeah. Particularly that 85 version. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The love line inside of me and who am I if not for you I think this is a very sweet song it's very pleasant it's like one of those songs it's impossible to dislike just because it's so charming and so easy going well I think if you like Bee Gees music you, you can't help but like this one I wonder in this one whether it was Andy with Barry's help or Barry with Andy's help I get the impression that when Andy and Barry work together it was a lot like how they worked on the song Why, where it was Andy had the instrumental, Barry provides the lyrics, or Andy has the verse, Barry provides the chorus, yeah. which was, it was the case with Love is Thicker Than Water, where Andy throws out the the title and Barry builds the rest of the song. I rate this song really highly, so I'm going to go with a nine on this. I've given this a seven. We then go on to the next track, which is another Barry and Andy composition, and it's called Someone I Ain't. It wasn't what you said It's knowing what you need You want to spread your wings and fly where the moment takes you on You're trying hard to be Someone you ain't 
It wasn't how you land That taught me how to cry Someone I Ain't was the B-side to I Can't Help It. Well, this really continues with the feel of side two, doesn't it? I'm quite surprised they put it onto the B-side. It'd be nice if they advertised it as a double A-side. At the time, there was a lot of things, double A-sides. I prefer someone I ain't. It's a good contrast to listening to a duet if you didn't want to hear that. Then you've got this one on the other side. It's one of those songs that goes under the radar, deserves a wider audience. It's got a great intro, very restrained but melodic, which sort of paves the way into the song. Something like Nothing Could Be As Good As from Living Eyes. Well, you say Living Eyes. The stacked vocals in the refrain of Someone I Ain't on the lyric Gotta Try, that is pure Living Eyes. Yeah. Crying Every Day, definitely the up-tempo songs from Living Eyes. I can hear that in this. When I think this one, personally, I think it's of equal quality to some of them songs on Living Eyes. And I rate that album really highly. Well, that got me thinking as to whether Barry being in the studio working on Someone I Ain't, whether he came up with that technique or when he heard it, he thought, oh, that's a good idea. Let's keep that for the next Bee Gees album. Yeah. Living Eyes has got such a distinctive sound to it. Then going back and listening to Someone I Ain't, it was quite strange hearing it being like, oh, I can definitely hear where that sound evolved from. So listen to these songs then and and going to what you said. Do you feel that in 1979, Barry's writing style had changed slightly? Do you think he'd had enough of the things that he was composing between sort of 74, 5 and 78? Yes, I do. We'll talk about this a lot more in the next episode when Barry and Robin are writing for another singer and how different that style then becomes when they're writing for someone else. And Barry writing with Andy, however they were writing together... The fact that he's writing with someone else just gives the Barry composition a slightly different twist because he would be writing this knowing that it's going to be sung by Andy. So therefore, it's not staying alive. It's not spirits having flown. It's something different. Yeah, they've just got a way of coming out of these perfect choruses, haven't they? You've got to give credit to the production of this because I think the way they've got Barry and Andy's vocals to melt together is just incredible. And I think on this album, am I going to contradict myself and say that despite all this, the vocals are quite the dominant feature on this album compared to Spirit, would you think, where the production was big? Are we got a pared down production compared to that album? I think so. The production on this album is laid back. It's definitely not as full as Spirit's. No. And to me, it does evoke those songs that Barry wrote with Morris around the Cucumber Castle period. When we was talking to Andrew, and we was talking about particularly about Twinkie or something, you said on that song you could imagine Barry and Robin sitting on stools, playing the acoustic guitars, 
working the song out. This, to me, evokes the same picture in my mind. Barry and Andy sitting together, both with their acoustic guitars, playing, trying to work out how the song would go, getting the melody, and then sitting down and working on the lyrics. Though saying that, I, you know, I, I think the strings work um, really well on this one. Have you any thoughts on the lyrics on this one? Because they're not actually happy-go-lucky, are they? But they do suit the tone of the song. It wasn't how you laughed that taught me how to cry. Convincing me your heart is a million dreams away. Trying hard to be someone you ain't. You came along when I was down and found a place within me. All the love I ever had cannot replace the things you did. I'm still in love with you and even though you're gone, I gotta try, gotta try, gotta try. So yeah, it's not as upbeat and positive as something like Wherever You Are, but it continues in the vein of finality and of closure, of Andy closing a door on something and accepting that a certain part of his life is coming to its end as he goes on to his next adventures. This would um, quite easily fit on any of his other two albums. I've given Someone I Ain't a six. Okay, I've gone with an eight. Positive this end of the table. We then go on to a Barry and Albie Gluten composition with Falling in Love with You. incredibly sweet and sentimental track I'm surprised that it took this long to get this title it's like such a typical title for Barry to have do you mean it sounds like a title that he couldn't have written for one of them Australian songs yeah it's like falling in love with you all of their songs are just that personified yeah this is from 1977 but it was never recorded by the group so I'm wondering if he's one of those many of Barry's compositions that were filed under the well, I'll come back to that one later. Put in a yeah. drawer. To me, it doesn't sound like a filler track. It could just be that coming between One Love, Someone I Ain't and Dreaming On, that it continues in that style, so it might feel a bit fillery. Yeah. We continue with the lyrical theme, Falling in Love With You Baby, When I Really Should Be Saying Goodbye. And that one always hits hard for me. It's very sad. It is. They're not so happy-go-lucky lyrics, are they? Camino. It's another one of those line of Barry compositions where you think, I've heard this before. You know, you say about the title, Fall in Love With You, is, you know, that's such a blatantly obvious title to write. Why is it never used before? And the whole song feels like that. I've heard it before. Around the same time, Barry composed the only song that's unreleased from 79 him, and it's called For You, which, according to Gibbs songs, was filed at the US Copyright Office in the form of a, a recording sung by Andy but not clearly part of the album. So it may have been dropped early in the process. 
So probably Andy recorded it and they decided whether this this song could have for you could have been replaced by Warm Ride, I said was a late addition. If you look on YouTube, I think you can see um, Andy lip syncing this on along with After Dark on Midnight Special, I think it's around March 1980. Falling in love with you, very pleasant, a nice, gentle, lilting continuation of this relaxed, very harmonious theme, which takes us through side two. I've given it a six. I've gone with a seven on this one. And this then takes us on to one of my highlights from this whole album, and that's Dreaming On. Agreed. She takes the heart of mine, she makes it beat in time, in fact she's mine. This is a bittersweet end to Andy's album career. The subject matter of the lyrics, I interpret Dreaming On, even though it's a Barry composition, as Andy singing about his daughter, just writing to her from all the way across where he was in America and she was over in Australia. It's like him just writing this letter for her, and it's so poignant and very wistful, very pretty, with the lyrics, We came to love in the neighbourhood, and the love don't cease to grow. And if you need me, darling, I'll be dreaming on. Dreaming on for you, baby. Dreaming on for you, woman, child. Dreaming on for you, baby. It's very sad. It is. It's one that always puts a lump in my throat hearing it. It's such a beautiful, beautiful end to the album. And like so many Bee Gees albums, it's understated. Like I'm Weeping from Two Years On, like Until From Spirits Having Flown. It's just a gentle... Let's go out of the album with this quiet, lilting song. And it's funny, isn't it? Like I said on the previous one about until going out sort of a whimper at the end of the 70s and the way that they come in in the 70s. Little did we know with Andy, this to me feels like going full circle back into Flowing Rivers. I've got it as as one of my my favourite tracks. This probably would have worked better than a couple of them other songs with Olivia Newton-John on it, if you're going to do a duet. You know, a little bit more up-tempo, um, rather than having two ballads. I like that the ending is stripped back, sort of spirits having flown type instrumentally, isn't it? Yeah. It's so underrated, the way that it's it flows. If you're going to describe the song, the title tells you. Perfect title for the feel, the song, perfect ending... I can't fault this one at all. I think Andy's vocals on the verse and particularly on the chorus on this one is more prominent than most of the album. And you get Barry's soft vocals sitting behind Andy's again. I couldn't really detect Barry that much. Mm. This just sounded like solo Andy. But yeah, it's like just Andy going out and saying goodbye to, to his music career. I've got this as one of Barry's sort of pretty compositions. Yeah, very pretty. It's lovely. She makes the sky. She makes the darkness bright 
Joseph goes on to say about this one, the quiet rhythm of Dreaming On closed the album and he handles the tricky rhythm of the verses quite well. So for him, that's a compliment. And I think he does. If not knowing when things were recorded, this to me sounds like one of the late, the latter songs on the album. Yeah, I think you mentioned in, in a few podcasts back about if Barry did the Greenfields too with songs like Victim. This would be quite a nice one. A song that doesn't really get any attention? With that, I've gone with a nine for this one yeah me too nine out of ten and it deserves it It, it's a little little gem i think stuck on the end of the album so after the album was finished andy made a trip to europe and britain i assume to a bit of promotion for after dark there was an interview with scott sands in 2008 and he recalled the highlight of that trip is that we went or we were in munich in germany and we met freddie mercury we were in the studio one night and Freddie Mercury couldn't hit a high note, which seems a bit unbelievable. And he told Andy, get out here. That's your family forte, the high notes. So Andy went up and sang with Queen on the backtracks. And he said it sounded incredible. Now, I've got a passage from Gib songs and it goes on to say, there is said to be an unreleased take of the song Play the Game by Queen with Andy singing the first verse. The circumstances are unknown. According to the same source, the tape was found about 1990 in a search of Queen's tape archives for a bonus tracks to go on one of their CDs. But since it has not been heard by any Queen collectors, its existence is somewhat doubtful. The release take with their Andy was recorded between February and May 1980 or possibly June, July 79 is on the Queen album, The Game. And then looking also in the Andy biography, It goes on to say that Andy was very sort of would like to check the charts. He had obviously noticed the decline in sales. When he goes on to be interviewed, rather than sort of mentioning this, he sort of says that he would be going into movies, a bit like his brothers used to say. He's going to be in the sequel to Greece that was tentatively titled Son of Greece. Awful. Slated to be co-produced by uh, Robert Stigwood starting in the summer of 1980. Then also it's got recent press reports had stated that Andy would star alongside Livy Newton-John in the up-and-coming film Xanadu. The next bit is possibly true. Andy also told the interviewer that he was considering releasing a Greatest Hits album. So with that then, shall we go on to the couple of the, few of these songs that are on that album? Yeah, let's do it. So the Greatest Hits album was released September 1980 in the UK and US. Side one, I just want to be your everything. Love is thicker than water. Shadow dancing, an everlasting love, 
our love don't throw it all away. Side two, time is time. Me without you, will you love me tomorrow? After dark, desire. This is a really good mix of Andy's career so far. It would have been nice to have thrown in an Australian composition. Flowing Rivers is absent when I would take off an everlasting love and put it on there. Will You Love Me Tomorrow, although it's a cover, I'll accept it being on here because it's a new song anyway, so why not have it on there? Overall, it does nicely look over his whole career, but very strange at this age and this early into his career, at the time early into his career, to release a greatest hits. Saying that, around this time in their career, the Bee Gees did with Best of the Bee Gees. Yeah. So it's not so strange. And and on that Best of the Bee Gees, they never included anything... Prior to um, well, they had only, uh, only Spicks and Specks. Yeah, just that was the only track, wasn't it? Yeah. So I can kind of understand why this came out. In the 22nd of November 1980 issue of Cashbox, they reviewed the Greatest Hits compilation, saying, The solo member of the Brothers Gibb has been arguably the most consistent singles artist of the late 70s, and this top tracks package carries all those top 10 classics. His silky vibrato is a tad softer than his falsetto-prone kin, but it's easily as distinctive. Yeah. Do you have any charting for this greatest hits? Well, to be honest, I think it uh, the results are not particularly good. It got to number 46 in America. And UK, no chartings. Germany, no chart places. No, but then when you've got seven out of the ten songs already on albums that have come out within the previous three years. It's no surprise that people wouldn't need it. So with that in mind then, shall we go into the first one, which was released as a single, and that is Time Is Time. Time goes on, it's nobody special. In the prime of my years, I remember you Living and breathing and some misbelieving But I can't hold you on, no peace of you Time is Time is a Barry and Andy composition recorded at Middle Ear in Miami. Joseph Brennan estimates that it was recorded around mid-1980. Yeah. I think this is excellent. Another one of these lost gems by Andy. I think Andy's in really, really fine voice. Better than, I think, any performance on After Dark. This has the powerful impact of his later song, Man on Fire, with an incredible energy, a striving drum beat, a soaring guitar solo, and Time is Time has constantly changing rhythms, with the drum fills used really cleverly to carry us through all of the changes. But also with Time is Time, I hear a lot of different Gibb compositions thrown into this one. Okay. I've got that it sounds like the love child of... Edge of the Universe, and Breakout. Oh, okay. The intro, very similar to Edge of the Universe, and the overall feel and the rhythm of it, very similar to Breakout. In how confident he sounds, especially in the chorus, I think his vocal delivery in the chorus 
is hearkening back to his early years, like Turn Me On, Westfield Mansion. It's He's got that same power to his delivery. Confidence. Yeah. Which is nice to hear. I think this song really revitalises Andy's energy. You know, if anyone complains... His whole juice is going again, yeah. Yeah, if anyone was to say that he sounds half asleep on After Dark or that he was so absent, well, here I think he's giving everything. I think they missed a trick with this one as well because if the album came out, when did you say... September. The Greatest, greatest Hits. Yeah. yeah, September. But this wasn't released till the single in November. Well, to me, I would have thought they'd have released the single in September, get a bit of publicity. The album comes out in November, ready for the Christmas market. Saying that, it got to number 15, I think, which, unfortunately, is, is the last top 20 hit from Andy. Um, so I think had it come out prior to The Greatest Hits, it, it, I think you would have found it got higher. I'd have definitely put it into top 10 territory. For Andy, to me, this is a stronger song than Desire. I agree. Absolutely agree. And his love for this song is on full display in the live version from Chile in 1984. He's got some of his most powerful vocals on that. The harmonies on this track are first class because the song gradually builds, doesn't it? And then you get that really good bridge. And as you say, there's a great version from 84, particularly on the chorus, I think. And he just seems to be really enjoying himself, singing it. Let loose, rock out a bit, doesn't he? I wonder, you know, we get this of, and he's going to join the Bee Gees. He's not going to join the Bee Gees, this, that. Do you think this is the sort of song that they, they could have, don't if they were all together. Yeah, it would, wouldn't I, it? Yeah, this would work really, really well. It's a shame, really, because I forget about these tracks on this album. You know, they're sort of, oh, he did three tracks on The Greatest Hits, I better dig them out. They seem lost. Before doing this podcast, we was talking about Hall and & Oates, and I was talking to you about their rock and soul, the uh, best of whatever, part one, and they got the two tracks on there, which was Say Isn't So, Adult Education. And again, one of them I really like. And then... I never warmed to adult education and um, and they sort of get lost then. You don't think, you just think of them as spare tracks where mm. when you get them put on an album, it's it feels all of one. Time goes on, it's been nothing on no one But I still see a sun that you shine on me Giving and taking and always mistaken Now, also on this one, you've got different lengths as well. Yes. So from what I've seen, the single version has the extended outro. The version that appears on Greatest Hits is truncated. And then the version that appears on Mythology, on the Andy disc, is the full-length version. Okay. Yeah, and I also think this is the first in a long time where I get the feel that this is is a band song as opposed to a singer-songwriter. I completely agree with that. With After Dark, you get the impression that you've got Carl Richardson, Albie Gluten, Barry Gibb doing the... and and all the other session musicians providing the backing tracks. And in a kind of karaoke way, Andy is coming in and singing his parts on top of that. And it's all overdubs. Whereas with Time is Time, you really get the impression that this is all of them in the studio, Andy singing alongside live with the musicians, and they're really 
Yeah, it's everything. got a more looser feel to it, hasn't it? Yeah. You can see why I did enjoy doing it live, because that's what it seems to me like it, what it's written for. Having said all that, we'll now go on to the second new uh, track, which is called Me Without You. Yes, and I've got this down as Solo Andy, which is great to see. Really, really good to see. This was put out as a single, wasn't it, in February 81, Back With Melody? Back With Melody, that's a really good A-side, B-side. I didn't know that, but the two complement each other so perfectly. And unfortunately, it's his lowest place in single. I think it got the heights of number 40. Without you Stood alone on the edge of time Out of sight, but forever mine Without you Sometimes there's no forgetting the night When we reach for the stars Just to be where it's bright That you left me behind What a crazy goodbye I think on this track, I do think the beginning is influenced by Until. Yes, a very beautiful arrangement. And I've got in my notes as well that the opening two minutes are very haunting with the chiming keyboards and soft vocals. Sparse, isn't it? Very sparse. And... That instrumental solo that comes in at 1 minute 25 seconds is especially beautiful. And it's like a calming, serene lull in the song before the arrangement kicks in and we we go into the full power ballad. Without you, there ain't no love at all. And without you... With Me Without You, I think this is Andy fully embracing the 1980s. I tend to always think of the 1980s with the likes of Sting and Phil Collins, that the the 80s is like power ballads. You get groups like Japan. They were very, very sparse. But I think that this is really, really good. It's a song of two halves. Yeah, you get the sparse chiming of the first part and then the power ballad of the second I tell you what, it's a brave decision to put this out as a single, wasn't it? I don't think it's that out of place as a single. Do you not think that in its song structure, it's quite similar to something like Phil Collins' Against All Odds? Oh, yes. The soft beginning and the really powerful second half. it's, It's build and build and build, definitely. the live version as well dramatic it's intense where he seems lost in the emotion of it all and i think as well because he's singing his own composition i get the impression he's sort of feeling every word something robin could do again with these couldn't he yeah and i think he does if you see the, watch him live singing this yeah i think it's a fantastic live version again chilly 1984 very heartfelt pleading vocals and it gets a really good response from the audience. Yeah. And Me Without You, in its ballad style, is a new direction for Andy. And given that it's one of his own compositions, I think he's having a slight change of direction. And it's such a shame that he didn't pursue that. I think that Andy was stuck in the mindset going through the 80s that his songs had to carry on in that shadow dancing after dark Bee Gees vein. There's ballads and there's ballads, isn't there? You get One Love, which I class as a nice ballad. But this one sort of hits you and you're thinking, is it a ballad? I've seen it described as a dirge. You know, I've seen 
a lot of things on this song, so I don't quite know what people's perceptions of it are. I like it, but I wouldn't want too many of these style songs on an al- on an album personally. Isn't it what the old the saying is? When you're happy, you enjoy the melody, but when you when you're depressed, you understand the lyrics. And it's quite true, isn't it? So regarding reviews, Cashbox had Me Without You as one of its hits out of the box in February 81. A week later, Record World had the song as page one review. And it's got, with a teardrop in his voice and a cathedral keyboards rising throughout, Gibbs sings of heartache. From his greatest hits LP, it's a pop AC grabber. Also in March, Billboard thought it was a possible top 30 hit. And then it goes on to say, Gibbs' latest is a soft, mellow ballad along the lines of Our Love, Don't Throw It Away. Adult contemporary play will come easily, but this has neither the spark nor the punch of the recent 50, top 15 hit, Time Is Time. So in that then, Chris, shall we go on to the last of the uh, new tracks? And this is called Will You Love Me Tomorrow? talking about rest your love on me and i said how the other time that we had female vocals on a bg's album was with pp arnold on cucumber castle well andy must have been listening in because that's who we get duetting with him here on will you love me tomorrow yeah because this song is a goffin and king song i think it goes back to 1961 by the shirelles and then the bg's did a cover of it in 1995 as well Personally, I don't think their voices blend very well together. If you like that style of singing, she's very soulful. But I just don't think Andy has the vocal gymnastics that she's got. So you've got her sort of like up here doing all her vocals and Andy's still as if he's like accompanying her. It doesn't really... Whereas I think Olivia and Andy, they they complement each other. They blend nicely. I would say, like, say Tom Jones or something. I don't know. That's it's powerful. It's a really powerful voice she's got. It just seems too powerful for Andy's. I mean, the instrumentation has got a bit of the Steely Dan feel to it. And I've found a version on YouTube where Andy duets this with Lisa Hartman. And I, unfortunately, I've not heard of her. But I do think her vocals complement Andy's far better than P.P. Arnold's. Oh, 
Are you got the same opinion of me with Pat Arnold? Where you're finding the difficulty is that she sets her own example of how this should be performed with her strong voice. And then the strength of hers is highlighting the weakness of Andy's. Yeah. Even though he, he puts in a good performance. Yeah. But I don't know what brought about the duet, the connection between the two of them. Barry. Is he involved with this recording? Well, you it's know? Got, funny you should say that. You've got these four songs. I, I think we're not quite sure when they were recorded. So you've got Time Is Time, Me Without You, and Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow. And there's a fourth song as well. And this is the 1965 song, Morning Of My Life. According to Gibbs songs, a music video was made of Andy singing Morning Of My Life, which is very similar to the Bee Gees 1970 recording of it, but it was never released on disc. I have found Andy singing this, I think, from about 1983, which I totally agree does sound like Bee Gees version. Taking a look at the reviews for After Dark... In the 16th of February 1980 issue of Record World, they said, Andy Gibbs' breathless vocals have matured somewhat, but the energy in the higher ranges remains. The single, Desire, has a jazz rhythm, and his duets with Olivia Newton-John are a particularly good idea. There are vocal assists from the Bee Gees throughout. On All Music, Stephen Thomas Erlewine says, After Dark found Andy Gibb beginning to run out of steam. The album was very similar stylistically to its predecessor, Shadow Dancing, but it didn't have as consistent a set of songs. Nevertheless, there were a number of fine moments on the record, including the singles Desire and I Can't Help It, that made it worthwhile for dedicated fans, even if it was clear that Gibbs' career would not be able to survive in a post-disco era. I've collated the results from the survey for After Dark, In joint 7th place is One Love and Dreaming On with 7.5. Oh, that's a surprise. In 6th place, Someone I Ain't with 7.6. Then in 5th place, Falling in Love With You, 8.2. In joint 4th, Desire and Wherever You Are, 8.3. In 3rd place, I Can't Help It, 8.5. In 2nd place, Warm Ride with an 8.6. And then in joint first place is After Dark and Rest Your Love on Me with 8.7. Mm, I expected um, After Dark. I think on this album, it'd be quite interesting if we put the survey again after we've put the podcast out, just to see whether people's opinions have changed, giving it another listen, another fresh listen. That brings us to the end of After Dark. We've passed through the night and it's now time for a bit of sunrise. Very good. <laughs> How long has it took you to do that I one? was thinking of that all weekend. <laughs> I'm sure you mentioned that back in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> you wait till you come to the other ones in two years' time. <laughs> Very good. 
Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepson. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com. That's how it should be.